<laughs> Y'all are clapping at that video. It was brutal. Uh, yeah, hey, happy Father's Day. How are you guys? Y'all good? All the dads in the house, dads in the room. Awesome. A few of you guys, this is great. Uh, hey, I want to make a toast to you dads real quick. That's awesome. Anybody grab a root beer and some barbecue as they walked in? You can, uh, if you missed it, you can get it out. But I'd like to make a toast, dads, today. Uh, you do not have to watch Frozen 1 or Frozen 2 at all today. Uh, I give you permission to sit in your recliner and watch the U.S. Open in your blue jean shorts and your Crocs without getting me in front of all day. Here, here, to dads. <laughs> Today's a special dad, day for dads. Um, and I have three young kids. It's pretty awesome. I had a phenomenal dad uh, growing up. Um, and he, he and I, we gave our lives to Jesus on the same day. We grew up in our faith together. We went on mission trips together. We, uh, man, I idolized my dad. And uh, man, the journey that we were able to go on together. Um, most of you guys know my dad passed away four months ago. So this is the first Father's Day without my dad. And it just got me thinking, and you hear this all the time when, when people pass, but I want you to take it to heart just from me as I was looking back at past Father's Days and birthdays and Christmases and stuff like that, man. I, I really look back and um, I, I know my dad knew how much uh, I idolized him and loved him and how uh, he was this role model in my life. But man, I wish I would have gone above and beyond every holiday, every Father's Day, every birthday, every Christmas looking back. And so, hey, if your uh, dad uh, is still present in your life or part of your life, or even if he's not, man, I encourage you guys to, to not just scoot through today as another Father's Day. Don't just give him a call, send him a card late or send, send him something, go above and beyond. Because uh, if your dad had, man, just a little of the impact uh, on your life like my dad had on mine. I think it is, uh, man, very, very uh, a huge priority in our, our lives to, to make our dads feel that way. And so I just want to encourage you guys in that before we jump into the Bible today. If you're new here, um, we're in uh, part three of our series called The Book of James. James is the uh, half-brother of Jesus. Last week, uh, I actually had somebody come up to me and they're like, whoa, Ryan, this is very confuse confusing. You're telling me that, that Mary got a divorce and had some more kids after Jesus. So let me just clear this up for a second. Uh, Mary was the, mo the mother of Jesus. God was the father, okay? Uh, Mary and Joseph were together. Joseph was Jesus' stepdad. You're writing this down on the family tree? And you have Mary and Joseph, and then they had other kids, and one of those kids was James. So Jesus and James had the same mom, but they had the different dads, and uh, Mary wasn't divorced. Just wanted to clear that up for you guys for a second. Uh, this book of James is very interesting to us. Um, many scholars believe that this is the first New Testament book written. And so uh, the early church was just kind of going and getting started, and James was the first person to write and send out his letter, James gave some interesting perspective with Jesus being his older brother. Uh, most writers in all the New Testament, they only knew Jesus for maybe the three or four or five years at the tail end of his life. James knew him for 25 plus. And so most writers in the New Testament, they wrote about Jesus as Messiah and Savior because that's all they knew. All they knew is Jesus walking up on the scene, healing people, raising people from the dead, having these 12 uh, dudes that were kind of following him. That was the only perspective they got. James had a quite different one. James grew up with Jesus. And somehow, someway, I don't understand, but for about 30 years of Jesus' life, he kind of flew under the radar. This dude was perfect. He made his bed every morning. He, he, he responded in a positive way, uplifting way to, to anybody and everybody that mistreated him. 
while Jesus was going to school and someone stole uh, something from his lunchbox, like Jesus never reacted in a way that was sinful or harmful. And somehow, someway, this Jesus man who was fully man, fully God, flew under the radar. And James got to see this Jesus. James got to see when the door was shut in their home and they had a family meeting. And Joseph came in and, and, and talked about maybe some things that the kids had done or not done. James saw that when his younger brothers and sisters would beg for, for Jesus' attention as being the oldest sibling, James saw how Jesus responded, and it was, had to have been always kind. James saw that how Jesus handled other teenagers when Jesus was a teenager, how Jesus handled other young adults when Jesus was a young adult, how Jesus handled professionals when Jesus was a professional. So this perspective of James is just mind-blowing to me, that it's not just the best of the best, it's the whole thing. So this, this letter is transparent, it's vulnerable. Quick question this morning. If one of your siblings wrote a letter about you as the main character, what would it say? I mean, what are those things that like only your family knows? Or what are those instances as you grew, grew up that you just look back and go, oh my goodness, I treated someone that way, my family that way. Like Jesus had none of those moments. And if he did, James probably would have inserted something in. So I think these words are just gold for us this morning. Last week, we talked about being not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And before we jump into the text today, question, have you been a doer of the word this past week? I don't want to just move on from chapter one into chapter two. If we've just kind of settled in back in the first verse of chapter one and haven't really settled into the lifestyle of doing the word of God and not just hearing the word of God, what have you done? As a staff this past week, we gather every Tuesday morning and we pray together, we worship together, we tell stories of transformation and how Jesus has, has moved in this place and in your lives. This is an extraordinary time that we have every Tuesday morning. And one of the challenges of us as a staff is that we went around the room to every pastor, every staff person and said, hey, hey, you've been hearing the word. What, what have you been hearing for a long time but you haven't been doing? And I want you to do that this week. And some of your pastors, some of the staff here said, man, I, I want to pray for, for, for people every day this week. I'm not going to go home until I pray for somebody in person in some random place. Some people said, hey, hey I'm going to have this, this obedience and prayer where I'm going to be on my knees praying to God 10 minutes every day. Some people said, I'm going to fast this week. Some people said, I'm going to pursue people that have hurt me. I'm not just going to forgive them in my heart, but I'm actually going to pursue relationship with them. Like we want to be a church. We want to be a staff. We want to be a pastor. I want to be a leader that doesn't just hear the word, but do the word. And if you missed that talk last week, you can hop on YouTube and you can hear it for yourself. But I challenge us before we move on, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. One of the things I did because of my message last week um, was I went to Starbucks right down on Highway 9, just around the corner, and uh, invited uh, McKenzie, my barista, to church. So McKenzie, if you're in uh, the crowd this morning or watching online, hey, thanks for coming. Don't know if you came last service or this service, but uh, it challenged me as well. So let me pray for us, and let's jump into James 2. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for this place. Thank you so much for these people. I pray, Jesus, that our hearts are opened, our, our ears are, are opened, uh, that our soul is willing to hear a word from you, not a word from me. I pray, Jesus, you take every word of mine, you translate it into the hearts and souls of everyone uh, in this room and online. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. James says this, he goes, my brothers... 
Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, your church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not made the distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. And are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blasphemy in the honorable name of which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you're convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Take a deep breath. A lot of words. But it is pretty clear. Now again, let's jump back into the lives of the early church. James was writing to believers who had just seen their man, their dude, their partner in crime, executed and murdered, Stephen. Murdered for his faith. And because Stephen's murdered, all the Christians, all the 12 tribes, read it in James 1.1, that they disperse. They take off towards the hills. They're, They're scared. They're freaking out. They're nervous for their own lives. And James is writing to these people. Now, now, could you imagine the setup here? James writes the letter, and and maybe this first house church or these first group of people or the first tribe gets the letter. They're going to gather around in the room. They're going to go, whoa, 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 James's letter. Remember James, the brother of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior? James wrote us a letter, and they would gather in the courtyard, gather on the streets, gather in the house, whatever it would look like, and somebody would grab the letter and read the letter in its entirety. I just read a portion of James 2, but they would read the entire chapter. And these men, these women, these families, they would be on the edge of their seat because they're going, well, my Messiah's gone. He died. He rose from the grave, but he's in heaven now. And our dude Stephen, who is kind of a a huge influence and a leader in our life, he was murdered. So so what is Jesus going to tell us to do? What is he going to ask of us? And my hope this morning, church, is this, that maybe we scoot up in our chairs, that, that, we, that we realize that this is the word of God. This isn't Ryan Rohan, but Jesus is writing to us a message. And I pray that it excites us. I pray that we don't look back and go, oh, what's the word going to say today? But, but I, pray, I pray we, we, we look and we anticipate with encouragement of Jesus giving us some word and some teaching this morning like the first church did. And could you imagine just, just, just the, the first line? It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of my glory. Really, James? You want us to show no partiality? What about those dudes that just killed Stephen? I mean, do do you imagine what it felt like in the living room? Do you imagine what it, how these words landed to the first Christians? But did you see how James opened it? He said, my brothers. He's looking at the early believers and he goes, "My, my brothers and sisters. Hey, my, my family, I want you to know first, but before I start jumping in and digging in, that, that you guys are 
family. Like we're in this together. We're not going to leave each other. We're going to grind it out together that you and I are family. Church, look, look around the room right now. Like seriously, look around. Like past the people that you came with, maybe, maybe over a couple rows or a couple rows in front of you. Like, like this is your family. Your family aren't just the people that sit next to you. The people aren't, your family aren't just the people that sit on the same row or the same side as you. Uh, we want, we so desperately want our church to be a church full of family members. Not attenders, not a congregation, but a family. One of our core values is to be family as staff and as a church, we, we want to be family. But, but the reality of family is this, look right at me. And this isn't meant to condemn or convict, but, but, but this is meant like we can't be family if we just show up here once or twice a month. Like if you just show up like every now and then in someone's life, like you really just can't be family. Like you're going to be a good friend. And James is looking at these believers who are hurting, who are suffering, who have all these thoughts running through your head, through their head. And James is going, hey, first and foremost, I want you to know that we're family. Church, just coming here, even if you came four times a month, that's not family. You coming in, maybe giving a couple high fives, grabbing a root beer and some barbecue and kind of doing this or that or whatever you do now. Like uh, that, that's not family. Fa family's going beyond this, this hour, beyond this building. I mean, the early church, they, they lived it out. They, they understood it. It wasn't just coming to church, but it was day by day. It was night by night. It was people over in their house. And so, man, I so desperately, and I know you so desperately want to have family around you that you actually get along with. You go on family vacation with your family, everyone comes back going, I'm exhausted. But I promise you, just because I've had such a broken family, that the family of God has become a better family, watch out, cut this out, than my own family. So maybe, maybe you and I need that today. Oh my goodness, we're two words in. My brothers, show no partiality. Gut check. Everyone in the living room, everyone in the house, they go silent. Everyone in this auditorium, you're thinking, who have I been partial towards? When is the last time I, I had judgment on someone? When is the last time I had a discriminatory thought or action? Room goes quiet. Now, now Jesus, if you remember the life of Jesus, when Jesus came on this Seen, he wrecked every social norm there was. I mean, Jesus didn't just hang out with people that looked like him. Jesus didn't just hang out with people that acted like him. Jesus crossed over every social boundary he shouldn't cross. I mean, back in the first century, you think it's brutal today? First century, it was wild. Old people were useless. Sick people were kicked out of the city. Women were discarded. Rich people were heroes. Poor people just took up space. Young people were an annoyance. Jesus, I mean, Jews were better. Everyone else was less than orphans. They weren't anyone's problem. And Jesus, the savior of the world, he steps into our world and brings all that and comes crashing to the floor. Jesus spoke to a woman at the well in John 4 and she was another race. He spoke to a widow in Luke 7. Jesus stood up for a woman in John 8. Jesus spent time with children in Mark 10. He actually raised a child from the dead in Matthew 9. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners, men and women who had diseases, the rich, Nicodemus, the poor, and the, relig the religious leaders of the day 
questioned Jesus because of the people he was hanging out with. Because in that day, only the best mattered. Only the greatest were honored. Do you remember growing up and going to your cul-de-sac as a kid and, and begin to play baseball, kickball, or stickball? Hey, if there's any kids in the crowd today, we actually played outside when we grew up. Uh, but we would hang out in the cul-de-sac and, and what would happen would be like the two best athletes would be the team captains. You remember this, right? And so you'd have team A and team B. I was never one of the captains and they would go through and they'd begin to pick the best team. Now, now the goal of the pick was to pick the best the most athletics. If you had the best team, you would win the game. And growing up, it would always come down to like me and the dude with crutches, you know? And I'm like, seriously? And you'd play, you'd play the game and the whole, the whole point was to pick the best team. And this, this was so countercultural to the gospel. This mentality, this, this, this reasoning completely opposes what Jesus did. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And James says, hey, hey, do not show partiality. The, the what is very clear. Do not show partiality. But the why is, is always more confusing. Hence, parents, this is, this is why we say when our kids ask us to do something, well, well why, dad? Well, it's because I said so. If you have to explain the why, it's going to take you a lot more time. And sometimes it's just easier to say, oh, because I said so or because God said so. Let me give you an illustration. Um, the other day, Riley, my six-year-old daughter, asked if uh, she could play with Play-Doh. Now, at first, I was like, oh, okay, um, no, you cannot play with Play-Doh. And she says, why? Now, in this moment, I'm going like, ooh, do I just say, hey, because I said so? Or do I really give her the reason why? And so I told her, hey, Riley, sit down. We're going to tell you why you can't play with Play-Doh. This is what's going to happen. You're going to go. You're going to go get the things out of the, the craft drawer, the, the closet. You're going to get the Play-Doh, but there's going to be 17 other things that are left on the floor before you get to the table. Now, when you get to the table, you're going to open up the Play-Doh, and you're going to begin to, to play with the Play-Doh, and little bitty pieces of Play-Doh are going to be everywhere. Your three-year-old brother, while you're making your Play-Doh hamburger, is going to come and try to eat some of the Play-Doh. I'm going to be stuck and looking at Bradley, and you're going to ha you have glitter. H how did you get glitter? Like, why did you go get glitter? Where's the glitter? And next thing you know, glitter is in the Play-Doh and the glitter's on the floor. Oh, your mom's going to come downstairs. You know how your mom's going to act? She's going to act like she acted last week. We don't want that. That's why. Don't play with Play-Doh. I mean, the, the why is always complex. The what's always easy, but the why is always complex. And the why behind we shouldn't show partiality is very complex, but it's this. We dishonor God and discredit the gospel. Why shouldn't we judge people? Because we dishonor God and discredit the gospel. When we show partiality, we're going at, God, you really don't matter. The gospel is not really true. The, the what's sometimes easy, but the why is sometimes complex. Verse two, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, your church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Ashley and I, we went to West Palm Beach a couple weeks ago for vacation. We went to a restaurant and uh, my, my three-year-old son, Bradley, it's kind of in the, still in the middle of potty training, so he needed to go uh, use uh, the restroom. And so we take him to the restroom and, uh, you know, too much information, but there's like the grown man urinals and I guess the toddler urinal. So Bradley's kind of hanging out there. Um, he uses the restroom. We're washing our hands and we just start kind of having like this, like this random dance party in the bathroom. It's just him and I. And uh, this, this man walks in. He's about six, seven. And, uh, man, he has a gold ring in his nose. And I look at him and I pause and I go, wait a second are you Dennis Rodman? And he goes, hey, man. And I'm like, Bradley, Bradley, this is Dennis Rodman. Look at this man. I mean, you can barely see the man. I mean, he had a hat on. He had big sunglasses, a big cigar in his mouth, rings and tattoos everywhere. But I'm like, whoa, this is Dennis Rodman. This is the man. This is the, this is, do you remember it? Uh, Bradley's like, oh, dad, where's the soap? You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I walk out the back, back into the dining room and I'm like starstruck. I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Like, where's the defibrillator? Like, this is going to happen. And I go back to the table. And I'm like, Ashley, Ashley, oh, <laughs> Dennis Rodman pee next to Bradley. And Ashley's like, whoa, Dennis, Dennis Rodman. I'm like, oh, this, is, this is incredible, Dennis Rodman. And like, they, they, they shuttle Dennis Rodman back into like the, the patio. And I'm like, Ashley, Ashley, let me get a picture of you. And so like, I'm like grabbing the phone. And I'm like zooming in on Rodman. I'm like, I got a blurry picture of Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Isn't this how we deal with all of our lives? Have you ever been starstruck before? I mean, looking back, I'm like... What in the world? I got that excited over a man who played basketball. When is the last time I got excited over, of, of somebody else following Jesus? When have I been so excited about how someone served someone else or, or, or how, how the least had done something? But man, I was so starstruck by Dennis Rodman and James just going like, isn't this the deal? That, 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 that when the well-to-do person walks into your business... That, that when that new neighbor moves in and has that nice car, those nice things, you're like, oh, this, this oh, look, look, look at this guy. And we kind of gravitate sometimes towards those people because maybe they have the most influence. Maybe they can give us the most or best thing. And, and James is just going, look, 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 if we do this, we're, discredit, we're discrediting the gospel. And so often in life, we, we want to pick our best team. All you businessmen out there, you want to pick the best sales team because that'll make the best money for your company. You want to pick the best child care and daycare. You want to pick the best schools. And we're, we're, we're looking at the world and we're kind of transitioning our, our thoughts of the world to the thoughts of the church. And James saying the church shouldn't be, the, be like the world. It should look, look, look like the kingdom of God. Our church, when somebody enters into our church, when we're looking at each other, it shouldn't look like the world. It should look like the kingdom of God. Now, now let, let me, let me kind of settle a little bit of controversy here. James isn't saying, hey, cool, the rich are bad and the poor are good. If I were to preach that message today, every single one of you guys would hate me because like, we're all rich. I mean, this is be honest. Like we're, we're all, we're all pretty, pretty wealthy. We're doing pretty, pretty good. James isn't saying rich people are bad and poor people are better. What, what he is saying is that we show partiality to, to, towards, towards the rich and sometimes we discredit the poor. But the reality is, is sometimes we, James is, not, is telling us, we don't just need to flip the script. 
if, if we start looking at the poor and that the poor is better than the rich, we're still showing partiality. He goes, hey, we don't need, just need to change our partiality. We need to solve it. And there's two, two theologies around this. There's the prosperity theology, meaning that if you have wealth, if you have things, then you are in favor of God. Meaning the more stuff you have, the closer you are with Jesus. That, that's bad theology. That's wrong theology. That's not Jesus theology. But, but there's another theology called par- poverty theology. Meaning, oh, okay, cool. Let me sell everything. Let me get rid of everything and let me become homeless like Jesus. And, and the less I have, the more I'm like Jesus. That's bad theology. That's not right theology. What James is asking us is to not show partiality. In verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor and not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. James says this in chapter one, but he says, listen, my beloved brothers. I said this last week, but I'm gonna say it just again today, just like James repeats himself in both chapters. Before James, all throughout the book of James, James pauses in the middle, gives us some very affirming words. And he goes, hey, listen, listen, listen. Listen here, my beloved brothers. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. And James, this isn't going like giving a little quick shout out to his brothers or sisters, whether they're biological or they're in the faith. Jesus is going, hey, 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 I need you guys to understand that you are loved by God. Like in the midst of all this uh, action uh, of what I'm asking you to do and, and some things I'm trying to get you to shift in your thinking, I want you to know that you are loved by God. That every single one of you guys are loved by God. And, and Jesus and the, the people around the living room of the first century church is probably like, whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got to remember that I'm loved by God. I got to remember, you have to remember that when Jesus was creating you 30, 35, 40, 60 years ago, that he remembers creating you. And as he's creating you, he's going, oh my gosh, I, I, love, I love this little girl. I love this little boy. I know what he's going to become. I know what kind of mom she's going to be. And I love her and I love him. And, and James is going, I want you to remember before I keep going in through all this stuff that, that Jesus, man, he loves you and God, the creator of the world, that he loves you and, and he loves your family and he loves you and you and you. And I wish I could spend the rest of the time going and you and you and you and keep going through. James is going, listen, my beloved brothers, you are loved by God. If you feel alone, if you feel like you're the last pick, if you feel like you don't belong, if you feel like you don't have a place, Jesus, James is going, oh, my dear friend, my dear brother, my sister, like you are loved by God. And then James says it. He goes, love your neighbor as yourself. We love ourselves pretty well, don't we? <laughs> we treat ourselves. We take care of ourselves. I love me. I don't know how much you love you, but I love me. And what would it look like if we loved our neighbors like we actually loved ourselves? Ladies, men, the last time you got a pedicure, you were treating yourself. You love yourself. (laughs) Treat your neighbor as yourself. Dudes, you might need to invite one of your friends to go get a pedicure with you. Ladies, next time you go to the salon, invite your neighbor. 
I love my yard. One week I'll, I'll mow my grass from left to right. The other week I'll, I'll mow it from north to south. I love my yard. Love your neighbor as yourself. Men, not today. Next time you mow the grass, mow your neighbors. You won't do it. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. I love to eat. Do you love to eat? I treat myself. Next time you fix dinner for yourself, fix dinner for a neighbor. <laughs> this concept, we do not live this, but it's a pretty easy one to live. You don't have to figure out what your neighbors love. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Begin to know how you love yourself and love your neighbor. Verse 9. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery and do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, so, so often um, we think this way. I think this way. I remember growing up as a kid and I would get in trouble um, for, you know, saying something stupid at school or doing something stupid at school. And uh, my parents would sit me down. My dad would sit me down. And he's like, son, you shouldn't have said that or done that. Um, you shouldn't have just randomly jumped out of your chair and ran out of the classroom screaming that there was a tornado. Like, that was just ridiculous and stupid. And I would look at him and go, like, well, dad, I'm not sneaking out. Like, <laughs> Bobby gets drunk. I was just being a class clown. This is what the early church was doing, and this is what you and I do. Hey, James, we're not murderers. James, I'm not cheating on my wife. And James goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about partiality judgment here. If you choose to do that, if you choose to make those mistakes, it's the same as committing adultery, and it's the same as murder. Church, church, we've got to get into a place of not going, oh, oh, this is like the worst sin and the worst action and we're okay with these bad actions over here because James says, hey, if you commit this one, it's like you're committing this one. The last time you showed partiality, you should have just killed him. I mean, James is saying that. It's the same thing. And I think so often in our lives, we minimize these types of behaviors and maximize in other people. And James is just, again, he's reiterating, like, don't, don't play favorites. James goes, I, 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 I know Jesus. Jesus didn't play favorites. God, our Father, he doesn't play favorites. He, he doesn't pick you or not pick you based on what you do or don't do for him. It would be pretty ridiculous for me as a father to play favorites. There's some things I do with Riley that I don't do with Bradley and something I do with Bradley that I don't do with Carly and something I don't do with Carly that I don't do with Bradley and Riley. There's different things that we can kind of align with and do. But at the end of the day, if they come home with their report card and they say, hey, hey, daddy, here's the report card. And one of them has all A's. And I go, great, Riley, awesome, you're getting dessert today. And one comes with all B's. And I'm like, oh, no, you go to bed. And uh, one person comes with all C's. And I'm like, go, go find another family. Like, that would be pretty ridiculous. When they got older and they, they got full-time jobs. And I said, all right, cool, Riley, how much do you make? And she goes, oh, I'll make 50K a year. Oh, great, Awesome. Bradley, he's like, oh, I'll make 65. I'm like, get it, son. Carly, she's the most stubborn one of them all. She's going to make like 150K, and she's going to go, I'll make a 150. And it'd be ridiculous for me to go, hey, Carly, you come sit up next to daddy. Bradley, Riley, you're still at the kids' table. I mean, this, this is what James is saying. He's don't play favorites because God, our God in heaven, man, he does not play favorites. Question, who are you partial toward? 
Who are you partial toward? Young, old? Are you partial toward single people or married people? Black people or white people, educated people, non-educated people, rich people, poor people, people who have their life together and people whose life is falling apart? Do you, do you show partiality towards men or women? And sometimes, man, it's not that obvious. I really do believe that we're good people, that nobody in this room is waking up in the morning and going, ha ha, I have it out for those people. But I think what happens is, is we kind of get trapped in the lifestyle and we don't even know what's happening. For instance, like if you go to Target, maybe going down Target, going down an aisle and then it's like a, a mom with some kids and the way she's treating her kids, you look at her and go, what are you doing? Like, like the way you're parenting right now is pretty ridiculous. It's not the right way. Uh-oh, you're showing partiality. You're at the neighborhood pool and you're hanging out with your family and, and one little kid's two-year-old kids is walking around the pool with no floaties on and you're looking at their family and going like, do you not care about your kid? You see what somebody's wearing and you start making judgments about their life or their lifestyle. Like, I think that's what normally happens to us. And James is going, hey, don't let your preferences become your prejudices. It's okay to have a preference. It's okay to have common likes and dislikes, but, but, but what happens is that we begin to prefer different things, and then we, get, then, then we begin to say, oh, those things are better than everything else. And we've got to stay in the middle. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James, again, talks about the law of liberty. The Bible is not just a Bible of rules. It's not just what uh, James isn't just shouting at us, telling you to handcuff yourself to the Bible and that you're going to have a boring life living out here day in and day out. James is actually saying this Bible, this word, this is the law of liberty, that this law will break the chains of captivity, that you, you won't have to live in bondage and slavery anymore, that this Bible, these words of Jesus will actually set you free and give you liberty. And the last thing, he goes, remember the mercy that Jesus has given you. He said, mercy triumphs over judgment. I want us to look back at our lives for a second. <laughs> look back at your life as a middle school kid. You're probably pretty crazy. High school, college, uh, don't stay there too long. Look back at the poor decisions you've made, the people you've hurt. And Jesus, remember the moment that, and maybe you haven't had this moment, but there's a moment where I gave my life to Jesus. And at 13 years old, I hadn't done a whole lot of bad things, but I lay my life before Jesus and I said, man, I want your mercy. I don't deserve it. Jesus, you died for me. And no matter what I've done, no matter what poor decisions I'm going to make, can I have your mercy? And I gave my life over to Jesus and what happened in that moment, I didn't become perfect. I made greater mistakes. I made more people mad. I hurt people. And every day and every minute, God's going, hey, hey, I'm going to still give you my mercy. 
It's not like we're in a single file line and when you screw up, you got to go back to the back of the line and wait your turn in a couple years to get in the presence of God. Church, church, look right at me. Because some of you don't have to even look back at college. You're just going to look back till yesterday, last week. And you need to hear this this morning. That Jesus is willing and wanting to give you this mercy over judgment. He's willing and wanting to bestow this mercy and this grace to you every bad decision and mistake you make. And the reality of us is if we continue to show partiality here on earth, like, I don't know what you, I don't know what I, I don't know what we're going to do in heaven. Because heaven's not going to look like you. People in heaven, when they're on earth, they didn't act like you. They didn't just live in your neighborhood. They didn't just live in America. Revelation chapter 7, it says that people from every nation, every tongue, every walk of life are going to be at heaven. And if you read chapter 7 of Revelation, it's just, it's just a wild scene of all believers gathered around Jesus, sitting on the throne and the scripture says that we're on our knees. We're not even looking at Jesus, but we're bowed down before him. And we're so in awe. And we're so thankful. We're so in love. We're so honored. Just to be in the presence of God. And, and, and if there's a moment where we're able to, to raise up and look around. We're going to have new bodies, but we're going to have people from every nation, every color, every tribe around us. I think the solution to the problem of partiality is that we, we've stopped bowing at Jesus' feet so worried at looking at everybody else. What do they have? Where are they moving? How good are their kids? What college are they going to? And James is going, man, I saw my brother. And if you could just see him and bow down to him now, like you and I will in heaven, this partiality, it'll be gone. Judgment, gone. Racism, gone. You thinking you're better or worse, gone. Church, this week, will you align your eyes, maybe in a posture of obedience on your knees, practicing <laughs> what it's going to look like in heaven. And at that moment, at that point, Jesus, who's sitting on the throne, is going, mercy. You want some more mercy? Mercy. You want more mercy? Mercy. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this time that we've had together. And I pray, Jesus, that you continue to work in the lives of everyone in this room online. I pray, Jesus, that there's if someone in this room or online who's never given their life to Jesus, I pray they do that in obedience. I pray they just look at you, Jesus, and go, hey, 
I want to love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to follow you. I want that mercy. And I pray, Jesus, that you'll bestow it. You'll grant it. I pray, Jesus, our church, our people will be family. I pray, Jesus, our church looks different than the world. I pray, Jesus, that our church begins and continues to look more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.